This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. Thanks for hanging out with us today. My name is Lydia Cruz. And I'm Justin Stiefel. I'm Maura Dooley. We're in it, guys. Fall officially starts on Monday. No. You keep telling me this and <laughs> I'm know. just refusing. <laughs> well, we've gotten a few extra days of sunshine, which I truly appreciate. Yeah. It certainly feels like fall out there. Uh, the temperature drop was dramatic and uh, rain here in this part of the country, even though watching football last weekend, we saw lots of sun and heat in the other parts of the country. So forewarn you uh, folks in the Midwest and the East, it is moving your way. It hit us first and it's on its way to you. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, they, that's the one benefit of fall, Maura. You, you know, we 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 miss the sunshine, but we can look forward to the, to the football. It is getting pretty darn exciting. Last weekend, a big weekend in Seattle sports. But the Cougs, the Huskies, and the Seahawks all getting wins. So even the Mariners getting a walk-off win on Sunday when the Seahawks won, getting two walk-off wins in a row. So yeah, I'd say it was a pretty good feel-good weekend last week for Seattle sports, which is always nice. Yeah. What's going on in the headlines this week? Well, first off, this is our hundredth episode, so we should probably oh. celebrate that. Yes, and uh, it's kind of a big deal. We have a hundred episodes of the, the show and the podcast under our belt. Yes, and it's been a good. Two and a half years. And uh, also our good friend Tyler Tanner, we remember we interviewed him two weeks ago. And last Saturday, a week ago, was the uh, Heritage 100 at Evergreen Speedway. And he won that race. And oh, he won nice. the points wow. uh, the points competition for the state for, remember the super late models? Uh, for mm-hmm. the super late models. So congratulations to Tyler Tanner on the Heritage number 65 car. And glad he was able to get out of there safely, too. Yeah. Tyler, thanks so much for taking time to chat with us. And kind of cool that you guys won the Heritage 100, and now we're celebrating 100 episodes right here. Oh, yeah. So it works out well. It's, it's I'm not surprised week. he won. He seemed laser-focused. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pro. So uh, first up in the news, uh, we talked last week about uh, the summer of hard seltzer. Well, this comes to us from refinery29.com. More news about White Claw. White Claw is the biggest brand in that hard seltzer space, that carbonated, low alcohol, kind of flavored malt beverage space that's taken over beer. And uh, last week they announced a national shortage. They have to increase supplies. The Internet is not doing well with this. Uh, Folks (laughs) across Twitter and Instagram were complaining. And uh, they seem to have kind of formed a very loyal following with people on Instagram mm-hmm. saying that they're not going to switch to other brands. Uh, they are now White Claw junkies, and uh, they're going to stick with White Claw. Uh, interesting side note, I read last week as well that White Claw outsold Budweiser in the month of July nationwide. Wow. Think about that for a minute. <laughs> that is amazing. That's amazing. And that brand's only been around since 2016, so stuff. And uh, next up, this comes to us from the drinks business. If you can't get your hands on White Claw, maybe, just maybe, (laughs) you can get your hands on this new vodka that is made with, are you ready for this? Yes. Beef bones. How do you feel about this, ladies? Uh, I I mean, I don't know (laughs) that it's readily appealing to me, but also we've heard some pretty crazy add-ins on this show before. I'm picturing like a Bloody Mary. I know that... 
that their monsoon, a local Vietnamese restaurant, does Bloody Marys with like pho broth in them. So, mm-hmm. so maybe something like that. Mm-hmm. But it seems like you, it would be kind of limited what you might want to put that in. Yeah, I'd have to kind of taste this to see what what's going on. This comes to us from Rebel Distillers. It's a limited edition bone vodka, only available right now in the UK, the European Union, and Australia. It is designed to celebrate the release of Doom Eternal. Doom is a video game from oh, yeah. uh, late '90s into the 2000s. Still going. Um, straight. Strong, apparently. Wow. Still growing strong. Yeah. The latest game in the series is due to launch worldwide November 22nd. The first batches of the Bone Vodka are going to be released at the end of this month. Uh, basically, the company says that it's tapping into one of the world's favorite hobbies, video games, for a unique perspective and spirit production. The vodka itself is made from organic wheat, and then bone marrow is roasted and smoked before being extracted and added to the neutral spirits of the vodka to macerate it. Uh, after that, it is distilled at low temperature in a vacuum to capture the flavor and uh, produce uh, the clearest spirit possible. It's going to be available on the Rebel Distillers webpage for 45 pounds a bottle. So Yeah, not uh, available here in the U.S. as of now, but I guess, yeah, you could order it. Or Interesting. Bone marrow, you, it's kind of, I feel like, not trendy, but you are seeing them in a lot more of food, at least on the food side of things lately, because of the collagen that's usually in bones. And so I think it's becoming bone broth and things are, yeah, are being, supposed to be health benefits. Yeah, right? incorporated into a lot more things. But this yep, is the first yep. time I'm hearing of the, the alcohol element. Yeah, fascinating. And lastly, from MSN.com, if you are a Parks and Recreation fan, which I am, are you all Parks and Rec fans? Uh, yeah, yes. of course. Yep, yep. <laughs> Leslie Nope uh, is my spirit animal. Leslie <laughs> Nope, the, uh, the character portrayed by Amy Poehler, who's also one of the head writers and producers of the program and had a very long run on NBC. There is a Parks and Rec, uh, Parks and Rec pop-up bar popping up. In Chicago, it's going to run from August 30th through October 20th, so you still have time to get there if you're going to be in Chicago. They're going to have uh, things like the Shoe Shine Stand, Little Sebastian Stables, Aww. the Pit, the Pony Department, Parks and Rec, and so on. They're talking about actually having waffle cocktails. That was Leslie Nope's uh, favorite thing was waffles <laughs> and uh, snake juice. So uh, treat yourself uh, <laughs> if you get there, and you may be able to hear a concert uh, performed by Mouse Rat. If any of you follow the, the show, you'll know what that means. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, lots going on August 30 through October 20th, Parks and Rec pop-up bar. Yes, I love this. And uh, they do mention that this might even be uh, around for Galentine's Day. Hopefully it will be, which is ladies <laughs> celebrating right. the ladies. Of course, Leslie Nopes is <laughs> one of her favorite holidays. I so. wish it was right. traveling and not just in Chicago. Yeah, I know. And it, yeah, I, there's there's a market for it out here. Yeah. Hopefully. Maybe it'll be so Maybe popular. You should, exactly. You, Maybe you should start a petition. Yes. <laughs> Coming up on Cast Club Radio, something pretty neat for wine lovers out there, how you could maybe get involved in the winemaking process. It's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Are you a wine lover out there? I know all of us present are, correct? Yes. 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 Well, <laughs> now there's a way that you could get involved in the actual winemaking process. It's possible for you to volunteer at some wineries, and we've got some great examples and hints for you if you want to get involved. 
That's right. So uh, this comes to us from Forbes.com, how to volunteer at a winery or vineyard this fall. If you remember the classic I Love Lucy episode where uh, Lucille Ball brought her audience to tears as she stomped grapes while visiting a winery. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Grape stomping is no longer illegal in the U.S. It's been outlawed since the late part of the 20th century. For some reason, Americans don't like the idea of people's feet being involved in production what? of uh, what they might consume later on, uh, understandably so. But there are other ways to volunteer at vineyards and wineries during harvest time. Now, it's uh, middle to late September here. Harvest is around the corner at many wineries from California all the way up into British Columbia and all the way out uh, into the East Coast. Many of them have specific programs that allow you to go volunteer to be involved in the winemaking process. When you show up, you'll be asked to do anything from helping with uh, the harvest of the grapes to pouring wine samples in the tasting room, maybe helping to uh, rack the wine back and forth or to help process grapes in production. In many cases, you may get free things like a T-shirt, discounts on wine, free wine, dinners or meals, invitations or private events. We found here through Forbes a few examples of wineries across the U.S. where you can volunteer. It's pretty easy to do. If you just go online and search, type in the state you're interested in, um, the winery you like, and maybe the word volunteer or volunteering, you're going to find some local things. Um, in the past, we talked about uh, in Woodenville, volunteering opportunities during the middle of wine production. And uh, Lydia, you found one recently from the folks at Will Ridge Winery. Yeah, Maura actually was able to dig this up. If you just If you want to go online, you can also put in a search of your own, but we wanted to look locally and see if we could find a place for you to get involved. In Will Ridge, you could be part of their crush crew. Yeah, it, it sounds pretty fun. It says you can be involved in everything from bottling, labeling, and filling cases. They admit that volunteers call it a labor of love, their love of wine, and that it can be hard work, but that it's a lot of fun. And they also have a, a bunch of do-it-yourself uh, vineyard adventures. There's paths and trails that are open to the public for hiking and biking uh, when you make it out to the winery. So, yeah, it definitely sounds like if you—I I didn't know this was something you could do, but it sounds like if you, you make it out there, the—, the vineyards make it fun for you. And that, of course, we're talking specifically about harvest season, normally August, September, October, and that's when they need a ton of people. But they also mentioned that they have opportunities throughout the year. So if this isn't the particular time of year that you want to get involved, but you're just a wine lover and uh, you might, some other time of the year might work for you, you can contact them. Uh, it's just willridgewinery.com for the local, for the local flavor. That's right. And uh, I know the guy who, who owns Will Ridge. His name is Paul Beveridge, which is a great name yeah. to have if you're in the alcohol space. <clears throat> and uh, they own the Wines of Washington store, which is in the Post Alley in yeah, uh, Pike Place Market. Place. Yeah. And so a great person, works hard and has great products and uh, grows uh, lots of grapes over in eastern Washington. Uh, examples that, that were uh, included in this article from Forbes in the Eastern Shore of Maryland, the Crow Vineyard and Winery in Kennedyville. They grow uh, Vidal Blanc, Chardonnay, Pinot Gris, Barbera, Merlot, Cab Franc, and Cabernet Franc. The co-owner says that they use anywhere from 30 to 50 volunteers to harvest and sort grapes during the months of September and October. They say it's about a three-hour commitment of time. Uh, they need you to lift 25 pounds, be able to bend and stand and so on. In exchange, you get either a meal, some grass-fed Angus beef to take home, uh, or wine, or maybe a combination of those things. Uh, they also have a 5K race and so on. We see that a lot this time of year, these 5K races. There's another one here in Delaplaine, Virginia, Barrel Oak Winery. There's one in Kilmarnock, uh, Good Luck Cellars, which is down in the northern neck. 
uh, eastern part of uh, between Virginia and uh, Maryland, uh, and so on. And, and again, just going online, and, and uh, maybe you're going to go somewhere in the U.S. where you're going to be visiting friends or family, and you want to get out of the house. Uh, you might look up, um, even in places like Arizona, Texas, Michigan, there are lots of local wineries all involved with, with uh, making making wine, and uh, many of them don't have their own vineyards, so they're not actually growing the wines, mm. uh, they're growing the grapes, uh, but they have the grapes being shipped to them, and they have a very short window uh, during which they can safely crush uh, the grapes and get them ready for winemaking, so... Uh, depending on where you are and what you're doing, find one of those wineries, and uh, you may just luck out because they may have gotten a fresh truckload of grapes that need to be pressed. Justin, you so Maura and I didn't really know about this side of things, but you uh, also have recently been to Italy. Is there any time where you have volunteered at a winery or been part of the winemaking process? Yes. Uh, here in the States, we've done it before. have not done it over in Europe. Um, it's still the process in Spain to uh, crush grapes with your feet uh, they still do that now oh, wow. because cool. uh, uh, it's been going on for eons and uh, the combination of acid and sugar and alcohol as the uh, wine ferments over the course of time uh, overcomes any biological hazards that may come from feet but you know they're pretty good about making sure you wash your feet before you get in there yeah i um, hope so <laughs> <laughs> most of our time spent on wineries has really been on uh, after the fact sampling and we've, we've gotten pretty good at that yeah, I know, right? Like that's I'm I'm an expert when it comes to that for sure. What I do love about this, almost all of these say they'll at least provide you with a free meal and some some wine to take with you, or some wine to have after, or both. And I'm sure it's a nice educational experience too. Yeah, you benefit on both sides. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you see a lot of distilleries that are doing this, where they have these bottling parties. They invite volunteers to come in and spend a few hours bottling the spirits, labeling, capping, uh, building cases, and so on. And we did that at first, and then the Department of Labor started asking a lot of questions because you know the Department of Labor is one of the functions they have is to oversee labor industry, uh, labor and industry injuries, and so. It's, it's become an interesting battle now in certain states. If you have a volunteer in doing something and they get injured, they're not covered by your insurance for labor and industries, so they can't go have an L&I claim cover the injury. They'd have to you know, somehow file uh, uh, to get medical treatment under their own medical insurance. And so what used to be a very cool, fun volunteer activity now has just gotten bogged down by regulations and lawyers. So are a lot of people more intimidated by by having the volunteer element because of that or potential for fines or things like that? I think so. I think you see a lot of people, especially as they get more sophisticated in business, getting away from that. Now, in the winery case, um, some some people, because they're so small, they don't have a budget, or because they just have a loyal legion of fans, they're willing to take the risk and, uh, and move forward. And, you know, it is a very traditional activity to harvest, to, to gather your neighbors, friends, and family around, and then celebrate the harvest together. Do the last bit of work, which is actually crushing the grapes and fermenting them and getting ready to go in barrels or bottles. Doing it as a community. That we definitely love here on Cast Club Radio. Well, we'll make sure this is available for you online at heritagedistilling.com. So if you're interested in researching some of these places, because it's got them domestically, also internationally, because, yeah, maybe uh, like Justin, you get to take a trip to to Italy or to France and and you want to check out some opportunities there. So we'll make sure this is available to you online, heritagedistilling.com. 
Com. And if you do partake, take some pictures and post them or oh, send them yes, to us please. at CastClubRadio at HeritageSicilian.com. We'd love to post them and share those kind of uh, life experiences you have. Absolutely. We always love hearing from you guys. Coming up next on Cast Club Radio, we've been talking about it being harvest season for wineries, but what does that exactly mean? We're going to talk to John Freeman, winemaker for Waterbrook and Brown Family Vineyards, next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. I'm Maura Dooley, and I am joined right now by John Freeman, winemaker at Brown Family Vineyards and Waterbrook. John, thanks for joining us today. Oh, pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Of course, yes. In our last segment, we were talking a little bit about it being harvest season, and we definitely want to get to that with you. But I'm also very curious. I looked online a little bit on the website for Brown Family Vineyards about your background, and it seems like you were around wine pretty much your whole life, right? Oh, that's correct. That's correct. I actually uh, grew up in Napa, California. Oh, wow. What was that like? <laughs> it, was, it, it, was, it was something. It's definitely, um, you learn a lot about wine and grapevines living there. I, I grew up in, uh, in the Carneros region, and back then there was actually no grapes. It was, uh, it was mostly Italian plum trees and walnut trees. And uh, wow. over the years, I believe it was the early 80s, uh, they started planting the grapes all around there interesting. I didn't know that. So did your family have any interest in wine? Was that something that was a part of your life then? <laughs> no, no. My, my parents were actually teetotalers. They, they, they didn't drink at all. No connection to the wine industry. But, but if you live in Napa, it's pretty easy to get a job at a vineyard or a winery. <laughs> I'm sure. So what brought you out to Washington State? You know, we were, we were thinking about, we had young children at the time when we were living in Napa, and when we decided to make the big move, we just wanted to find a place that was, you know, a little bit calmer, a little bit slower paced, you know, just, just something, a better place maybe to raise the children. And that's when we found Walla Walla, which is, it's like Mayberry here. It's, it's just a great small community. <laughs> everybody knows everybody. And then how did you end up at Brown Family Vineyards? Uh, it's, it's, it's a bit of a long story, but the <laughs> summary is... Um, I was working for Waterbrook Winery at the time, and uh, we were we were a medium-sized winery, about 30,000 cases, and, and things were going great. And as it turns out, Andrew Brown from Brown Family Vineyards uh, bought Waterbrook Winery. So what kind of background do you have that got you where you are now to being a winemaker? Uh, it, it's, it's been, a, I, guess, I suppose it's been a long journey here. Probably what's prepped me the most and, and what was the best education I could have ever had was I had the true pleasure of working for a winery down in California called Minor Family. And at Minor Family, we did a lot of custom crush there. We had about 17 custom crush clients. So it was this incredible opportunity to see, you know, 16, 17 different winemakers uh, use, a lot of these guys use the same vineyards, the same blocks even of grapes, but they may have been 17 different styles. So it was really interesting to see that and to, to actually be a part of that and really see um, so many different ways you can manipulate grapes in, in the same vintage from the same block. So I, I believe that was probably where I really, really learned a lot of things to do right and a lot of things to do wrong. Well, and so you've seen the, the grapes there in California and then what you have to work with here in Walla Walla. What's uh, unique about the grapes out there in Walla Walla? Oh my gosh, the the grapes from Walla Walla, it's it's truly a pleasure to to work with the grapes here. We don't have a lot of the same problems that we had to to worry about in Napa. Um, We don't have a a lot of rains during the growing season. You know, we're a desert, of course, so we have very limited rainfall. 
our soils have great drainage, so we don't have uh, we don't have problems so much problems with the roots. We have less vigor issues than we used to have when I was in California. So I would say overall, it's 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 easier to grow good grapes in Washington State, especially Walla Walla. And what are some of the varietals that you work with for Brown and Waterbrook? Brown is a is a Bordeaux uh, for the most part Bordeaux. So we really stick, you know, Cab's King. So we really concentrate on our Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm-hmm. But we do all Bordeaux varieties, all noble Bordeaux varieties in our estate vineyard here. And we just started playing around a little bit with Syrah from the estate vineyard too. So uh, it'll be a new release. 2017 will be the first year we have a a Syrah on on the on the menu there, at Brown family. So like I said, the last segment we were discussing harvest season. And that is going on right now for Brown and Waterbrook, right? That is correct, yes. For for me and I know Lydia and Justin, we said we weren't sure exactly what that means. So hopefully you can help our listeners as well. <laughs> um, basically, I guess, where does it start? You know, harvest, harvest starts before the harvest starts, if that makes sense. So <laughs> we've been really concentrating in the vineyards since, uh, since Verasian, you know, since July and August. And we've been concentrating on crop loads, and, and does the crop look good? Do we need to um, spray for stink bugs? Do we need to adjust the crop levels? So our vineyard crew's been working very, very hard for uh, several months now. We actually started for Brown Family in late August with a Sauvignon Blanc off of uh, one of our state vineyards called Skyfall. And uh, right now, uh, we're on the 20th now, so we're starting to bring in some of the Merlots for Brown Family, Cabernet Sauvignon. Savignon still have a couple of weeks to go, but so far the harvest is going really smoothly. We're we're very fortunate this year because of the weather. This summer we had a mild summer, mm-hmm. and so it wasn't too hot. So the grapes are coming in beautiful, phenolically ripe. They taste great. They look great, but they have a little bit lower sugar levels, uh, known as bricks. So the good news for that is we're going to get wines that will potentially have a little bit less alcohol than the last several years. So we're hoping for a great balanced year this year. Oh, wow. Do you have to bring in extra help for the harvest, or is that done with employees that already work there? We, we absolutely bring in extra help. Um, the workload uh, just about doubles during harvest for us, and we are very fortunate that um, by the time harvest starts, ironically, most of our vineyard crews are done. They, they don't really have that much left to do. So we bring in, uh, for the most part, our vineyard crews into the winery to help us in the winery. And at, so at what point does Harvest and you pass that off to a, another department? <laughs> yeah, it, it really never gets passed off. Um, so that it'll be sense. in the winery under our control really up until the bottling date, which it still, um, it still happens on premise. But we will be done done with Harvest usually around early November, and then we'll be done with all of our fermentation, um, even our primary and our secondary fermentations by usually – end of November, mid-December, and then we can put all the wine to barrel and just, just let it rest. And so then a lot of those wines, how long will it be till those are on shelves and drinkable, or does it vary depending on the, the varietal and all those sorts of things? That is a fantastic question, and it absolutely varies. We will, for some of our rosé programs, we will actually bottle those in January, so only a, a few months from now. Some of our reserved here, the, the brown Cabernet Sauvignons, our tribute blends, our red blends, those will actually stay in barrel for about 22 to 24 months before we bring them out and bottle them. Oh, wow. So is there, is there something right now, maybe a wine that uh, you would recommend that you think people, I don't know, people maybe haven't tried as much. Do you have a unique uh, wine recommendation? 
We have uh, just recently we started doing a roan white blend. Nice. And it's it's um, it's really fun. It's very approachable. A lot of aromatics. Just just something that's nice to try. And it's it's wonderful to get some of the Rhone blends out of the states. Very affordable, easy, easy drinking. So you know, right now, especially last year, the vintage was in 2018. We had a hot year. The white wines are just absolutely brilliant, aromatic, delicious. So um, yeah, the the Rhone white blend is is just really slaying it right now. It's so good. That sounds delicious. What is it about the heat? What does it do to the grapes? A lot of times there's a lot of things that heat can't do, and it depends on your canopy. But one of the, one of the main things that heat does, the hotter it is, the more sugar gets developed. Oh. So, so the warmer it is, you get more sugar developed. And on really hot years, there's always the, the chance that the sugar develops much faster than everything else. So you end up with um, potentially wines that have you know, tremendously high alcohols, 15 and a half, 16 and a half. And, and sometimes th- they get a little bit out of balance because of that. Wow. So does the higher sugar content lend itself better to white? It, it, it's, it doesn't necessarily lend itself better. You need a certain amount of alcohol because alcohol actually perceives as sweet in the wine and it makes it really round and balanced and gives a little viscosity. The only worry is if we have a really high sugar in a white wine, then we're going to have a very high alcohol. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of goes out of balance. That makes sense. Well, I know that you have something special going on coming up here at Brown Vineyard called the Spy Series. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, that's a really fun, very exciting project for us. So uh, the genesis is Andrew Brown, the owner of Brown Family Vineyards, his grandfather was, was uh, in an organization called OSS, which is a precursor to the, to the CIS spy agency. And as a dedication to them, we started the Spicers. And it's basically little small blocks. It's actually only a couple of rows in a block in the Brown Family Estate Vineyard here in Walla Walla. We farm them a little bit different than everything else. We really put a lot of energy into them. And then we bottle these single variety, single block uh, wines. They're all Cabernet Sauvignon at this point. They're very exclusive, very limited production, but it really shows uh, a lot about the terroir of the site a lot about the clones that are being used for these Cabernet Sauvignons, and they're very unique, very small production wines. It's, it's really an exciting project, and it's turning out really well for us. Well, that sounds fun. Thank you for sharing so much of your knowledge with us. We needed it, that's for sure. <laughs> there's there's just always so much to, to learn about wine, and it's really fun. I want everybody to go check out waterbook.com for Waterbrook Winery and brownfamilyvineyards.com to learn more about the brown Family Vineyard Wines. John Freeman, thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Coming up next, we've got a brand new top five from our friend Distiller Dane, and we'll leave you with a delicious fall cocktail recipe. That's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Right now, joined by one of our favorite people, Distiller Dane. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Great. Good. Enjoying uh, the transition to fall, or are you still a little, I don't know, reticent to give it to give up summer? I'm staying a little optimistic. Yeah, nice. we've had a little bit of bad weather, but I'm hoping we can get another one or two weeks of a little more sunshine left before we fully transition into fall. Good, good. Well, and I know you always have some stuff on your top five that gets me excited for whatever season it is. So let's kick it off. What's first on your list this week? First on my list is something I've actually won for a while, and I recently got one as a gift, and it's it's really fun to play with, and that is a portable smoke infuser. Ooh. Oh. Mm. 
So they kind of are tend they're tend to use in like kitchens. You can use them for like meat, cheese, charcuterie. But most of all, maybe you've seen pictures of all the smoked cocktails at the cocktail bars, mm-hmm. and that's kind of exactly what you can use it for. And what I've been using it for, it's a handheld device. It's only like six inches long, and you can put wood chips or pellets in it, and then it has a little hose that comes off of it, and then you can smoke whatever you like. Oh. Uh, so I've been having a fun time messing around with uh, like a lot of apple wood. And let's just say there's been quite a few smoke Negronis jumping around in the kitchen. I was oh, going to ask what cocktail yeah. you add the smoke to. Oh, yeah. I've been messing around with the Negroni the most, but uh, I'm going to work on some old-fashioned and Manhattan recipes with it, too. That sounds It's like a delicious. hookah for your cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, the cocktail hookah. <laughs> awesome. All right, number two. Number two on my list is a whiskey that Old Forester launched only about six months ago, and I finally got my hands on a bottle, ran into a local liquor store. Not too hard to find, uh, but if you come across it, I definitely suggest grabbing it. I and mean, that was actually their first rye whiskey um, that has kind of a unique mash bill. It's actually 65% rye, 20% malted barley, and 15% corn, which kind of balances the sharp notes of a traditional high rye whiskey um, and has a little bit of a floral character. Um, so if you're out there, I definitely recommend picking it up. And the best part of it is it's only 100 proof and only around $35 a bottle. Ooh. Not bad at all. Yeah, it's a good price. Affordable. It's a good price. All right, uh, I want to make sure you, uh, when you crack it open, you should set a sample aside for your boss to see. <laughs> there we go. Just suggesting. I got, I got one. It's on your desk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Number three. Number three. So I'm a dog lover. I know there's a lot of people who doesn't love dogs when it comes down to it. Seriously. Exactly. Yeah. And oddly enough, this next one is actually kind of a magazine book subscription that I came across. But you can also visit it online. Um, and read it, and it's called A Letter to My Dog. Have you guys heard about this yet? No. No. Uh, so it's kind of funny. It's, uh, it's actually a collection of celebrities and people writing letters to their dogs, and they're kind of random or funny, uh, but it's an easy read and entertaining overall, especially if you're a dog lover. Um, and it did not look, but I'm sure there's a cat one out there too somewhere. Mm. You know, the irony is that dogs really can't read, so it's kind of interesting. Mine can. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I love a special, it. special dog. <laughs> yeah. All right, number four. Uh, number four on my list, since we are entering the fall era, not quite there yet, hopefully, but it's coming. It's that time of the year when you're actually going to start seeing Oktoberfest coming out and all the events based around it with German-inspired food, beer, and Oktoberfest um, events all in your local area. And nothing quite beats a one-liter one liter glass of German lager and a bratwurst for me. Uh, but I saw one event coming up in October 5th, I believe, and it's called Trucktoberfest over in South Lake oh. Union in the Seattle area. Um, and it's actually basically combining a beer festival with food trucks cooking up Bavarian-style food. So there's going to be over 30 breweries, about 25 food trucks, and they're going to have a bunch of lawn games and music. So it's an event that I'm going to check out for sure. Yeah, that cool. sounds pretty neat. I saw the beginnings of Oktoberfest already, Queen Anne Beer Hall last weekend. I was in there to just watch the Husky game. And yeah, full on, to my surprise, they had the full band going, uh, chants, cheers, dancing. It was great. So yeah, it's. I think it's going to be fun this year. I think next year we should plan Shottoberfest for uh, spirits. Ooh, uh, yeah. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Okay, number five. Number five. We've been having a few lightning slash windstorms in our area lately, and that means the power's been flickering which leads to making sure you have your board game closet is fully stocked up when that power goes out. Nice. I almost had some close calls recently, but I just picked up a new board game and it's called Codenames. 
There's a regular version and an adult version. Basically, you have two teams with a captain which give out a one-word clue, and then your team has to correctly guess how many words on the table are related to it, and it kind of goes back and forth with each team. Sounds easy. It's actually very difficult. It's a great game to play with with a group of people and fun time. Okay. And what's it called? Yeah, code... It's called Code Names. Code you can find it at a lot of the regular stores that carry games have them, but you can also find it on Amazon. It's, it's a blast. Okay, good. Yes, I love me a good board game, especially when the weather does get bad. It's yeah. nice to be indoors. So, okay, cool. Fantastic. All right, Dan, thanks for showing up and uh, back to work. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks, Dane. All right, before we get out of here, we also have a cocktail recipe for you, maybe to have on those uh, cold winter nights or, excuse me, Maybe to have on those cold fall nights inside your house. Yeah, well, time to break the ice and get into the fall drinks. So this is our apple cider mule. It's a riff on a regular uh, mule. One ounce of our BSB brown sugar bourbon. If you're very courageous, you might try the BSB 103 at 103 proof. One ounce of unsweetened apple cider. That's really kind of any apple cider you get, especially now fresh from the farms and fresh from the pressings. You can get amazing cider. Uh, Three ounces of ginger beer poured over ice. Stir with a cinnamon stick and garnish it with an apple slice. So again, an ounce of BSB, an ounce of uh, apple cider, three ounces of ginger beer. And if you want to uh, have a a warm version, uh, drop the ginger beer and uh, just do one for one. BSB with uh, heated apple cider. Ooh, that sounds good. That does. Love, do you guys, are are you fans of warm alcoholic drinks in general? Yes. At times, yes. I love a good hot toddy, especially if I have a little bit of a cold in the winter. sore throat, yeah. Yep. All right, well, it it is the season, and at least there you go, Maura. That's one thing you can look forward to about the fall. I like it. This cocktail recipe available for you at heritagedistilling.com, past Uh, cocktails as well there for you if you want to do some research and as always you can find episodes of the podcast at heritage distilling or at mynorthwest.com that's right you can also find us on social media heritage distilling uh instagram facebook and so on also on uh, instagram we have brown sugar bourbon that's our bsb we use the hashtag drinking bsb share pictures cocktail ideas uh any kind of interesting inspirational items you can also send us emails at cask club radio at heritage distilling.com and don't forget october 1st spirits advent calendars go on sale and they are available <laughs> and they will sell out quickly so thanks again for listening to our 100th episode and uh, stay safe out there We'll talk to you next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling.